0: morning so five of us are here in the morning (laughs) if you have your bibles let me invite you to open them to the book of hebrews chapter number two or one rather hebrews chapter number one well it is a joy uh, for the church to gather together uh, to worship together to rejoice together to pray together I am thankful for the technology that we have. It has served us and been helpful to us this past year. Uh, And even many who, uh, for whatever reason, can't be with us, um, whether either physical or distant, whatever that may be. Uh, My prayer this morning is that God would bless them, use the word to encourage them, whether they're listening live or later on in the week or next week or whenever that might be. Uh, But there is something about coming here week after week uh, to be encouraged to be strengthened and I think we know that uh, that this time together as a church is vital uh, for our Christian walk and fellowship uh, my prayer and conviction is that God use, will use and does use this time to uh, strengthen us uh, to build our faith uh, to um, Correct us, because we need that, right? Amen? Anybody? Uh, but he uses this time together to to do that work in our lives as we meet together. And this more than just a sermon. Uh, I know that's obvious, but it should be made clear. Uh, we come together for more than just hearing a sermon. You can get a sermon on YouTube or or a podcast or whatever you want, and probably a better one if you wanted to look at it that way, you know. Sermon audio. Look up the same text and find Sinclair Ferguson do it. Okay, <laughs> not right now, but um, but it is more than a sermon. We meet together. We join ourselves together. It, it is part of that fellowship, uh, that interaction with one another. That that looking over and seeing someone singing the same song as you, maybe better than you, maybe worse than you. Doesn't matter. But but you're together right, as you sing and and as you rejoice. Uh, together it is the small talk and the prayers that we do before and after a constant reminder that you're not alone Uh, even as we come on communion that those visual reminders that we are uh, we are in this together and it is here i know it happens throughout the week as we gather together and we meet and we fellowship we work together whatever it may be but but it's here a good place to start to fulfill those scriptures that teach us how to interact with one another uh, all through the new testament and so um, i just want to as the old saying goes i know i may be preaching to the choir this morning because you are here so um, (laughs) i just want to remind you what a blessing it is that god has given us in the body of christ meeting together uh, focusing and worshiping him if you have your bibles open uh, to the book of hebrews i'm going to begin reading in chapter number one verse 1, and I'm going to read through Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands, and they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it according to his will pray with me just for a moment father this is your word lord we just pray that you would work it into our lives this morning by your spirit in jesus name amen maybe you remember reading in 2019 of a megachurch pastor who stepped down from his church announced he was leaving his wife and essentially leaving the faith altogether Sometimes when we hear stories like that, we think of more of a liberal theology kind of church, and yet we sing their music uh, in many ways, and uh, and yet here he is. Uh, some of you know him. You've remembered his book on dating, Kissing Dating Goodbye, and uh, someone who has pastored for 17 years before this moment that he stepped down. In an interview that he was in, he He basically just simply said, as being asked about the situation, he said he excommunicated himself from the church. Went on to say, by all measurements that I have for defining Christian or for being a Christian, I am not a Christian. That is very tragic. News like that always bears an element of tragedy of their own. For the particular individual, but unfortunately, when we read things like that, it is not uncommon. It is not uncommon. People walking away from the faith or no longer standing where they once stood, you see this kind of movement, but it's not towards God. It's, it's away from him. What I think is worth noticing in the midst of this is, is that it wasn't a, a momentary decision, uh, like all of the sudden, just to spur the moment. Like you wake up one day and you decide you're no longer a Christian, but a progressive flow of things over a long period of time. Despite what we might think about our lives, they are moving along. And many times we're, as it were, in a drag race. Some of you may feel that with all the things that you have to do on your schedule throughout the week. Coming and going, juggling things, plans, going to work, cooking all the business of entertaining guests, and before you know it, a month has passed, or a couple of months, or a year or two has passed, you don't know where they went. We can attribute to to life being busy like that, but there are some things in our life that, that are less perceptive, some things we don't notice, and I think that is often the case in a spiritual sense. Little by little, you find yourself further from God, not closer to him. It is with that idea that we come to this passage in chapter number two. We're brought about one of the writer's first of many strong warnings to the church that he is writing. It is a call in one way to sit up and pay attention. Maybe you have heard that when you were in class. I don't know if Ryan does that with his kids as they drift off into numbness. Uh, But they tell you to, to kind of wake up, throw some cold water on your face, whatever you need to do, and, and pay attention to what is going on. And the writer is trying to tell his readers, he is, he is essentially saying the same thing, pay attention, pay attention. There are a few challenges I want to just introduce to us this morning when it comes to uh, application to this passage and many of the passages throughout the book of Hebrews. One is that the writer assumes as well as the readers, that there is an authority outside of themselves. I know we say that often as we speak about the word of God, and I I think it's worth repeating often because we live in a culture that that it's its own authority. We are our own master or, or the captain of our own ship. No one's going to tell me what to do. How many of you ever said that out loud, really? Any honest, good, honest Americans in here? You see this kind of anti-authoritarianism in our culture. It's pervasive. I was just thinking that sometimes it's blatant in our lives, and yet other times, some of us, we have no problem with what the Bible says, yet there are some of us, I would venture to say, in the church that, that pushes back when we hear the Bible says or God has said. It's the culture we live in to, to push back in that way. Some of you might have re- heard a congressman this week in the House after hearing that a bill that was coming to be passed in the House of Representatives called the Equality Act was against God's will. And the representative went on to say uh, in rebuttal against that what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern in this Congress. Now we can make much of that, I'm not to be partisan, but that is a theory, or that is the feeling or the concept, not just of those men, but of our society at large. Basically, not only does the the author assume a kind of authority outside themselves, a divine authority, because he's basing his argument upon the Old Testament text of the Word of God, but, but he is also confronting the idea, what we, what we challenge in our culture, and that is the devaluing of the gospel. The devaluing of the gospel. We live in a time in the West, not so much now as it has been, but we live in a time in the West where there is no, no real cost in being identified as a Christian. All you need is a bumper sticker or a shirt or a bracelet or whatever. It says, I love Jesus or, or WWJD or whatever it is. And you claim that right of being a Christian. There was no, no real danger in saying I am or I am not a Christian. We live in a culture like that. We reduce Christianity to, to kind of an, something we like or feel. We can give or take the demands of Christianity any way we want. In and I interview Rob Bell, I don't know, many of you may not know who he is. It was a megachurch pastor who turned into a spiritual guru who sounds more like something off Star Wars in the force than he does anything else. But nevertheless, asked the question last September, are you a Christian? What, is, what do you think his answer was? Of course. We live in a culture that allows that. And so when you see words and warnings and and judgments and things like that in the Word of God, it kind of makes you stand back and and, and question it. And thirdly, I think one of the challenges we face in our contemporary setting is our over-reliance on tomorrow. Procrastination. Anybody deal with that? We'll talk about it later, right? It's our over-reliance on tomorrow. We find it easy to procrastinate and put off what is of most important for the distractions of the insignificant. I can tell you, when I sit down to study, there's 15 things going on through my mind. I, I mean, I never want to vacuum my office, except when I need to sit down and study and I think, where's the vacuum cleaner? <laughs> right? You know, I mean, that's, that's really when you want to vacuum, is when you're supposed to do stuff. But our, our, our reliance on tomorrow, our, our, our taking it for granted, really brings us to places where the Word of God calls us for sober urgency in, in the matter of life and death. And, and we're able to take it and kind of numb it up a little bit because, after all, that's a big decision. We'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. In fact, the Hebrew writer reminds us it's today all throughout this letter And even in the words he gives here, it is a sober warning given to us. With that in mind, let's look at the command in verse number one of chapter number two. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, what we have looked at in chapter number one and what we see all through those 14 verses is to look at Jesus, see him come to understand and and know who he is. Look and see him as the full revelation of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Come and see the one whom God has spoke fully and and lively through. Come and see the prophet whom God has sent, not in many ways, in many forms, but, but fully in this one time. Come and see Jesus. Come and see him who is the creator of all things, who sustains all things. And, and come and see the one in whom the angels worship. And even as we have worked through that in our time, in our study through the book of Hebrews, we have been trying to explain and understand what all these terms mean. He's saying, come and know who he is. He doesn't give a command. He doesn't, he doesn't give us a list of five things to do. He spends a chapter in, in deep, rich theology saying, come and see who this one is. You know, by seeing, he means more than look on with our physical lives. I know that would be nice, wouldn't it? If we could, we could just kind of work everything out where we could see it. We're seeing his believing. He's not saying that kind. But come and know him. See him by understanding the message about him, the message he gave, the message that his disciples had given him, the eternal one who is worshiped. And yet, he begins chapter number two with that reminder of, therefore. He brings to us the conclusion or the application of what it means for Christ to be Christ, for him to have done what he has done in his person and God revealing him to us. Now, there are many people in our society, many studies that that you take in college and classes that people just talk about ideas, and they debate them vigorously, and they uh, Almost religiously, psychology and philosophy and politics. Some of you probably done that over Christmas, right? With your family. You go with your family and you just talk about stuff. And there is an idea that that's acceptable in some realms of, of I guess, study or education or learning. But that's not Christianity. It's not what the Bible is here for. Not just to fill our minds with Christianity. Christianity is for a different end. You see, the truth and the claims bear upon our lives. It is to call us, demand of us to sit up and listen. It is calling us to action. That's what you see here. You... you, Present before the world, as he does here in this letter, this is who Jesus Christ, look at him now, listen to what he is saying. That's what he's saying here, calling the people to action. Notice, and we must answer the question, who is he speaking to as he talks about paying closer attention of what we've heard, lest we drift from it. Well, the church is filled with all kinds of people, just as it is this morning. We know it was a Jewish audience as the rich Old Testament um, usage of the Old Testament. We know that they they had heard the gospel. Many of them believed the gospel. They were facing a persecution. We know that there's a a great danger or temptation of them going back into Judaism, the pressure of society and their families and the synagogue. and, And man, don't you just want peace? And you could have it if you just quit. You know, if you just give in and go back and just, you know, give and take a little bit. That's what they're saying. Well, and how tempting that would be, right? you got a pastor in jail in Canada right now. How tempting it would be. Don't you just want peace? Go home, have a meal, take a shower without worrying. All you have to do is Quit. There's a church facing some of those temptations. And even within the church, not only those who are are facing that temptation, they're standing on the line of going, coming or going or wherever they're at. There's, there's those who are, who are there and they're very familiar with Christianity and they still haven't decided yet, you know? I'm kind of going to see how this thing pans out. Many commentators and scholars bring us to this place that there are those who, who know all the facts about the gospel, and yet they've made no decision about it. This message this morning is for the complacent within the church, the undecided and the spiritually slothful. It is for the indifferent. And can I say this morning, it is for all of us. It is for all of us because he wants to warn us not to to hold fast to listen to pay close attention to what we have heard from christ And, and the danger he gives to us is that we may drift away from it and you know the image you have it in your mind you have a boat and it's just going along the current and and it's almost as if you're trying to just let the boat just drift into the dock instead of going there it's 30 feet 40 feet 100 yards down the river and he's saying that in this cultural climate, with all the pressures they're facing, they're, they're, they're in, a, in, a, in activity, they're, their unwillingness to receive the gospel is, is, is bringing them in a dangerous place. And they may drift away from it. As a boat without an anchor, untied to the dock. It may just slip on away, as one writer has said, from the safe harbor of Christ himself. Can I say that there's some of you young people here this morning that may need to hear this warning. You know the facts about Jesus Christ, you've heard the gospel, you've been here, at least I've seen you many times. Over and over, maybe in your home, maybe in your families, you've heard the gospel. There's a moment that you have to come to that realization of have you put your faith and trust? Have you received the gospel? You go out into the world and the current is, is, is away from God. It's not going to lead you to God. It's not going to lead you to Christ. It's not going to lead you to repentance and faith. And, and it is that kind of worry that this writer has in mind. It's that kind of worry that, that I have in mind this morning that after hearing all that you've heard all of your life, that at the moment of decision you walk away neglecting, just leaving it lay there, leaving it alone. It isn't just a worry for young people, is it? How many parents have raised their kids in church so that they could have a good upbringing, have some morals invested in their life? They want the best for them or want good for them and only to find in the midst of their retirement a kind of stale religion in themselves. Some of you know people like that. Part of the problem is they had not paid attention close attention to the message which they heard. They did not perceive the drift in their own lives. Some even who have been at this church years gone by and, and you can't find them now. This drift. Why is it such a danger? Why is it such a big deal? He gives us this by way of a challenge or, or as you might see here in verse number two, in verse number three, by way of a warning. Look at it with me in verse number two. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And what is he speaking about here as he talks about angels and, and, and proved to be reliable, their word? He's, he's bringing our mind and our attention back to the law, what was given to Moses in the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. There, God, give the commandments. And, and in those commandments, that, that reminder that do this and you will live. Moses goes on and we'll look at it in just a moment. Disobey this, violate this, and you will die. He's saying as you remind yourselves of the Old Testament and what God and his judgment upon that nation of Israel brings about this this careless and contempt for God's revelation always brought punishment and judgment. They weren't debating that. Now, we might debate that in our day. How do we take those passages? How do we look at it? Because we're more more sophisticated today in in all of that. They didn't debate that. They had their Old Testament. They believed it. They understood. They read and they, they saw many places where the nation of Israel, in disobeying God, God judged them and he says rightly so here in verse number two. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable at every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. The word here for transgression is to step over the line as a willful act. Uh, as you can see, little kid's doing that, right? Don't cross this line. And you draw a line and say, well, what does the other kid do? Well, of course, right? Wet paint sign, you touch the paint. Disobedience rever- uh, refers to more, as uh, MacArthur explains it, to shut the ears to the commands of God, to, de- to neglect God's commands, or do nothing when we should do something. Think about that for a moment. I remember reading in church history uh, the debate against Wesley, or, or the battle, really, between uh, Wesley and Whitfield. Uh, in England, it was, uh, um, it was a very serious time between the two uh, great preachers. And it was over rev- uh, Reformed theology. And Wesley would tell his listeners as they would go past and hear Whitfield preach stick your fingers in your ears so you don't hear it. <laughs> you can see little kids doing that, right? They say, "No this is how we've acted towards God's command. He has spoken them clearly to the nation of Israel, and they clearly have rejected them. They would not listen to them, would not listen. Let me just kind of convey this in two different passages. First Corinthians 10, when you turn there with me, verse number one through 12. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 12, Paul summing up the Old Testament or, or summing up the children of Israel's journey through the wilderness. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ." That's enough to write a a book on, I'm, I'm sure. He said, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That's a very significant statement. It was in that wilderness that they died. In the wilderness, they were overthrown. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Speaking of the the golden calf, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Let me read that again. He says do not be uh, idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Or grumbling as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You see this kind of over and over emphasis. What are you you seeing is that God judged and judged severely those who disobeyed his word, his law. Moses, as he he, uh, gives his last word to uh, the children of these people Paul is referring to who is getting... Ready to go into the land of Canaan. In Deuteronomy. You can turn there with me. Chapter number 30. Sometimes considered to be. The second reading of the law. The confirmation of the law. Given to the children of. Those who first received it. And he says at the end of this. There is what is what is given with the law. This, this is what we see in the language of blessing and cursings, blessings and cursing. Now it extends more than what we'll look at this morning. I just want to sum it up beginning of verse 15 of chapter number 30. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good death and evil If you obey the commandment of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God and walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall. What does your translation say? That's nice, isn't it? And multiply and the Lord God will bless you in the land that you're entering and take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not bet or you will not hear. Notice that connection with hearing it and, and obeying but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over to Jordan to enter and possess. I call to heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He goes on and says, Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. So the Hebrew writer, as you go back, turn back to Hebrews 1, 2 with me. The Hebrew writer is, is asserting what these people already knew. Well, they've come to already understand, even by the Old Testament witness, by the nation of Israel's own history, all throughout the Old Testament, is is really a magnification of those verses at the end of Deuteronomy. The blessings, the cursings, the being carried off into captivity, all because of their disobedience, their unbelief. And here he's saying, for since this is the case, and he's arguing maybe this happened, he says "This, this was true, and this really did flesh out, he goes on further and say, how much more? How much more severe of a warning or judgment are those, is to those who neglect this great salvation in verse number three. The law itself in the Old Testament mediated by angels loomed over the nation. And God often showed us over and over through the Old Testament his just judgment on the disobedient. Let me just give you one example Aaron and his two sons who offered up strange fire disobedient to God disregard what God said and God struck them dead now I know sometimes when we think about things like this or or the thousands the 23,000 uh, and Paul refers to in Corinthians and in the Old Testament we think you know maybe I don't know if you think this way but maybe maybe that was a bit too much don't you think I mean, I don't mean to go out on a limb too much, but dare I say, was that a little too harsh on God's part? After all, I mean, you know, Moses, they didn't know where he went and all this other stuff that went on. Maybe God's actions and judgments, maybe his warning of hell, maybe that's just, well, maybe it is just a little unjust. And I think the writer asserts this. And I don't think it is something that our original readers, I don't think it's something that they wrestled with. I think it's something that they understood. I think that is something more that we wrestle with. Because we we, we are so confused about what justice is. We're so off on God's holiness and righteousness. We, we're so self-defending, as it were, when, it, when justice doesn't match our, our plight or our plot or, or, or promote us, right? We know that. We say that's unfair. How many, of you ever, how many of you said that this past week? That's just not fair. Maybe not. We live and think that way. And yet what the writer reminds us is that what they received was just. It was a just retribution for their sins because the weight of the glory of God and who it is that we have rejected and sinned against, the Bible reminds us in the Old Testament that every soul that sins shall surely die. And we see in, in Paul arguing the justice of God saying that all men have sinned, that death passed upon all men because all men have sinned, all men have fallen short of the glory of God. And so it is a reminder that we are by nature children of wrath. Awaiting our judgment, and God is just in so doing because we have violated His law. We are His creation, created in His image to glorify and magnify Him, and all we've done, our existence, is glorify and magnify ourselves and distorted Him. So I know we 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 deal with that when we think about the warnings of God and and, and His. Telling us of judgment or impending judgment, we would we, we think maybe maybe God's a little off on this. And so, one, we either reject God altogether or we remake God into something we find is more controllable, more apt to our own taste. And yet the word of God doesn't allow us to do that. It reminds us that every sin, every disobedience received its just payment. And after all, that's what the language Paul uses, right? The wages of sin, the payment, what you've earned is death. Your just recompense. And he goes on and says, not only do you see this in his argument, but he's saying, if this is true about angels who mediated the law at Mount Sinai, if this is true about them, if there is such a sober warning about rejecting or disobeying his word or their word, how much more serious ought we to take it when the Son himself speaks? How much more serious should we take the gospel or its call upon our life to repent and, and believe? How much more serious should we take it, the one whom angels worship? You see that kind of being asked in verse number three, the beginning of it, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It is a rejection, according to verse number three, by neglect. A rejection by neglect. Jesus speaks about the seriousness of rejection of himself Several of the cities in Matthew, chapter number 11, one in particular, he mentions in verse 23 of that chapter of Capernaum. He says, and will you be exalted to the heavens? Will you be brought down to Hades? Or you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Think about that. I mean, you think about the word Sodom, your, your mind automatically goes to wickedness, evil, How? what in the world? We got a church named that up here somewhere, right? I don't know they're just looking for a name in the Bible or what happened, but anyway. And yet he's showing, because you have had such light, such revelation, such an opportunity to repent and believe, and at the, at, the, at, the very, at the very presence of Christ and the very affirmation of his miracles and works, and yet at all of that exposure to the revelation of God, you've shut your eyes and you've shut your ears. And he said, Sodom and Gomorrah had it easy compared to what you will face. That's true of nations. That's true of America. Right? We could say that. At, at the presence of the word of God. It had been so, so profoundly present in this country. And the access to it. And preaching. And all over the area. at it's turning and rejection of God. It's a, it's a very terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. To, to borrow the expression later on. Our writer will use. It's also true of our lives. Individually. Those who have heard the gospel over and over and yet have rejected it over and over. The same thing applies to you. How will you escape if you neglect that salvation? Well, the answer to that is you won't. You won't. There is no escape. For the wrath of God abides on us and we are by nature the children of wrath and all we need to do to face judgment this morning is Nothing. Nothing. Go on and live your life. Give no thought to it. That's all you need to do. We can be assured that there are thousands and millions of damned souls in hell this morning. And I don't say that lightly, but there's thousands and millions of damned souls in hell this morning because they did nothing when they heard the news, the good news of the gospel. Not because they rioted or burnt a church or did what all the other things that could be done, but because at hearing it, at the invitation of come unto me, they said, no. Not today, not now. Not today, not now. Our only escape is found in Jesus But if we let that go, there's nowhere else to turn. And let me just say a word about the assurance of our salvation this morning. In conclusion, I believe in eternal security. I believe that those who are in Christ can never be plucked out of the Father's hand, sealed until the day of redemption. Amen? Amen? I believe that's true. I believe the Bible teaches that. I also believe the Bible speaks in such a way and at such times that we need to listen. It presses upon us not... The facts. Not the facts merely, but it challenges us as to what we're doing about them. Not how much we know and and how smart or intelligent or how bright or how many pieces we can put together. It's saying, what are you doing about the gospel message? What are you resting in at this particular moment? What are you trusting at this particular time? Are you trusting in Christ for your salvation? Are you taking heed listening to him? For some of you this morning, maybe you need a strong warning to wake up. Maybe literally, maybe spiritually. a sober call to pay attention and listen to the sun because you've drifted in some way in your life, become spiritual slothful or lazy as it were. You are, not, you are not where you used to be with him. For others, I'm burdened that you are here this morning on the line of being a Christian maybe. You know the facts, truth be told, you could tell me the facts. And yet you just don't believe. You've just never followed through. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ this morning. Week after week, the grace of God extends to you. Month after month, year after year, the grace of God extends to you. But can I warn you this morning that the same sun that causes the the grass and the flowers to grow also hardens the soil? that it it is possible to, to hear the gospel and that gospel bring that spiritual life and faith and love for Christ and it is possible to become numb by it. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. And never be changed by it. No longer be challenged by it. It can harden us. I guess this morning all I'm asking you is, where are you? Don't live this life neglecting the salvation, the offer, free offer of the gospel. And we'll look at what it is next week in verse number four. But for a time this week, don't neglect that offer of free, free grace of life given to us through the Son. Pay close attention, he says, to what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Well we won't, but there's hope right that's what he's saying here this is a strong warning, but there's hope there's hope that that in this so great a salvation we can we can be. We can be saved. We can't escape. We can be forgiven. We can be healed. We can have new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning as we gather together in an interesting place, in an interesting passage, even in an interesting place in our country. Lord, you know where we all are. Where each person here is this morning, and I pray if they've never put their faith and trust in you, that this would, that you would use this morning, this time, this warning, God, that they would today, not harden their hearts, but that they would they would come to Christ, receive him as their Savior, put their faith and trust in him, Lord. Do that work that only you can do in their life. I pray for each of us. So we consider where we are in our walk with you, Lord, that you would just use this to encourage us, to strengthen us. And we'll give you the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.